Welcome back to another episode of Real Talk. I'm your host, Pastor Jesse Martinez, and you're listening to Bible Line, but this is the audio exclusive Real Talk, and it's where I just sit down and chat with you about all things faith and practice. If you're looking for more content, um, talking about answering Bible questions, sermons, all sorts of stuff, check us out on our YouTube channel, Bible Line. And subscribe there. You can get all the good stuff. We post uh, several times a week. Send in your questions to us, questions at BibleLineMinistries.org. And I'll be more than happy to take a look at it and get you an answer. And uh, most of the time we make a video about those unless it's a repeated topic. Um, but uh, I, I, my mind is kind of in a lot of different places today. Well, actually, no, it's not. Uh, my mind is tempted to go into a lot of different places. But I just want to chat with you openly and honestly about the great opportunity that we as believers have to serve the Lord. Um, I've heard it said before, you know, serve the Lord, you'll never be bored or something of that variation. Um, and you know, while that is true, I like how that sounds. It's got a ring to it. You know, you, you should serve the Lord because you want to. And I was just in a meeting with a friend of mine who's going through a lot of questions about, what he wants to do for the Lord. And, and it, it, it prompted me to go this direction on the podcast today. I want you to, if you can take your Bibles, we'll be in James chapter one, and we're going to take a look at just some very simple statements that are made by the leader of the church in Jerusalem, James, and, uh, also called the just he's mentioned by Paul and in different places. And of course the Jerusalem council there in Acts chapter 15. But, you know, James is a man who's dealing with people that, you know, they're Jewish people and their entire lives are now different because they've put their faith in Jesus Christ as their Messiah, that, that he has taken away their sins by his uh, death, burial, and resurrection. And that requires, you know, you're, you're no longer keeping the law. You're, you're no longer going to synagogue. You're not in regular fellowship like you were before. And James is in a very interesting spot for a lot of people that are going to be challenged uh, when it comes to spiritual growth. And I see a lot of comparisons to uh, people in ministry today. And I just want to encourage you that the Word of God will never lead you uh, where the Spirit of God cannot keep you. I heard that from Dr. Ralph Yankee Arnold years ago, but it's a true statement. God is never going to lead you into a place where he cannot keep you. So although serving the Lord may seem like this giant, daunting, lifelong task, just make it a single thing that you're going to choose to know the word and do what it says. And I believe that if you make it that simple as just childlike obedience, that God will direct you and you'll be able to look at the end of your life and say, look how God has walked me through this life. And there'll be no greater joy. There'll be no greater satisfaction than to know you have done what the Lord wanted you to do. But in James chapter one and verse one, James opens the letter and, and I, I want to focus on this. He says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is how James views himself. He views himself as a servant, not necessarily as a pastor, although that was his role, not as a counselor, although that was 
his role, not as a friend, although he was a friend to many, not as somebody who was in any other kind of relationship to other people, although he certainly had those things. But James saw fit under the inspiration of the, of the Holy Spirit to just describe himself as a servant of God. Boy, I just think so many times we try to complicate things. We as people living in a very technical world, you know, we want to complicate things. Our iPhones do all this stuff, you know, multitasking. We've got calendars with multiple colors and we can get alerts and all this kind of stuff. We can follow multiple sports teams. We can have all different types of friendships and hobbies and all that. And right now in our teenagers, in our youth, there's a crisis of identity. And they're running to their sexuality. They're running to their careers, hobbies, people to, uh, to define themselves. But man, for the child of God, for the person who's rested their faith in Christ, what a great definition. I'm a servant. Yes, I'm a pastor. Yes, I'm a father. Yes, I'm a friend. But if there's one thing that I want to be said about me, it's that I'm a servant. I want that for you too. And James saw fit to describe himself in that way. He goes on to say, To the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting, My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into divers temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Eight verses that we just read, James 1, verses 1 through 8. And in it, you can see the roadmap for the servant. Verse 2 says, to count it joy when you fall into diverse temptations. When you are going through diverse situations and things that are pulling you in all sorts of different directions. Your work life, your home life, your social life. There's temptations all over the place. Count it joy. It is going to refine you. That's what verse 3 says. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. The more your faith is tried and you have victory through those trials, the stronger you will be. We see this principle when we're building muscle, when we're you know, building skills. The more difficulties you make, or excuse me, the more difficulties that you overcome, and the more strain that your muscles are under, they build back stronger. Now, verse 4 says, Let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. This is why I think James is able to say, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has gone through trials. He has gone through temptations. But he has allowed his faith to grow deeper into Jesus Christ to rest in him, not necessarily try to win every battle of his own 
accord of his own desire and, you know, fleshly ability. He just continued to do what he was told to do. And he has no desire of anything except that people do right by God. And he's saying this is an opportunity that you can enjoy. Let patience have her perfect work that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. I tell people all the time that are looking for the next thing. I say, when you get that thing, is that going to make you happy? The answer, they'll probably say, well, yes, because they're deceived into thinking that the collection of material things is all that matters. But the answer is no. It's always going to be something else. You're always going to want the next thing, the newest model, the more refined opportunity, the better paying job, whatever it is. It's always going to be something. We need to learn how to rest in the Lord. Let patience have her perfect work. Then verse 5, he moves off of the fact that you don't want anything. But he also is saying if you lack any wisdom, and we all do lack wisdom. I say this sometimes when to my students in college. I'll say when I give them a test, I'll say, you know, there's, there's a right answer and there's a better answer. You know, we can get something right, you know, and, and we do it correctly. But is there a better way to do those things? And that's where wisdom comes in. I mean, I know what is right, but I don't know what's the best decision in every situation. I've gone through many counseling sessions where I know what that person needs to hear, but what's best for them? Maybe they're not ready to hear that. And I don't want to just say it and merely say my job is done because I've communicated a truth. How can I communicate it effectively to the point where it gives them the best opportunity to actually do what God's word says? And in those situations, I ask God, And I have total 100% confidence that he will give me what I need. And many times it's just to tell them what they need to hear. But the way to say it, the attitude in which I can say it, if I can say these things in concert with the Holy Spirit, meaning I'm agreeing with God, then the power still is coming from him. I'm just a a messenger. But I want to be totally sold out for God. And so I ask him for wisdom. And you can ask him too. Let him ask of God, verse 5, that giveth to all men liberally. This is an interesting word here, liberally. This is without any restraint. He has all the wisdom that there will ever be. And he's ready to give it to you abundantly. And upbraideth not. He doesn't withhold. And it, the wisdom from God, shall be given him. Now, a lot of people think, you know, ask and ye shall receive. And so if you ask anything in God's name, well, then he'll give it to you. So if you have cancer and you ask to be healed and you ask it in God's name, you'll be healed. Folks, that's not the promise. You got to ask it in his will. I've known people that have been put in hospital rooms. They've been sent to the emergency room. They have faced dire threats to their lives. And they end up leading people to Christ from their hospital bed. They end up encouraging a brother or sister in Christ from their depleted position. I think that's a part of God's will. I'll share with you the story that my uncle shared with me. When I was six years old, my 
mom was diagnosed with leukemia. And as a six-year-old kid, you don't know what leukemia is. You don't even really have a good understanding of what cancer is. You just know mom's not around as much as she used to be. I remember going into the hospital, seeing her condition worsen, and not understanding. You know, you're just a, I'm just a kid. I, I can't imagine I've, I've been around six-year-olds and, you know, primarily my nephews when they were that age. And, you know, they're, they're just kind of understanding what is thrown at them in a very small degree. And so that was me. And I saw my mom getting worse. And I didn't really think that death was on the horizon. You know, you just thought something's happening to her. You pray that things will get better. Well, that was in 96. And in October of 98, she passed away. I don't really remember much about the day that I found out that my mom had passed away, but my uncle has shared with me since that when I was told the news that my mom passed away, the first thing I did is I looked to my dad and my uncle and I said, but I prayed, but I prayed. I don't remember saying that, but my uncle does because I've only heard him tell me this one time, this story that I'm telling you now. And he, I've never really seen my uncle get emotional. You know, it was his, when my mom died, that, that was his sister. I've never seen him get emotional. But when he told me this on the phone a couple of years ago, he was crying and he was crying hard. And he said, when you said, Jesse, when you said, but I prayed, my heart broke because... I realized that I could have done a better job of telling you how to pray, what to pray for. Now, I don't think my uncle did anything wrong, but there certainly was a lesson that I learned, and this is what he told me. I should have told you to pray for strength to get through what God was asking you to do. Now, I have since received that strength when I think of my mother and I I think about heaven. I think about peace. I think about no more pain, no more suffering, no more loss of hair, no more sunken eyes. (laughs) She's with Jesus. And I have comfort. But I look at this passage here and I, I see that we can receive the wisdom of God and we have to allow these difficult times to come to pass. And it's only through going through these difficult times that we become stronger. And I think some Christians have this very uh, immature idea, and I say that lovingly, immature idea of what prayer is. Like it's deliverance from, you know, everything bad and that life is just going to be great. That's That's not what this is about. This is an opportunity to ask God for wisdom. This is an opportunity to see him work through all the junk of the world. Through all the junk that we experience, we can see him work. That's why verse 6 is so important. Let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. You know, the wavering is like somebody who needs to get in the into the canoe, but they're not sure they can get in without falling into the water. So they put one foot in the canoe and keep one on the dock. The canoe's moving forward, And your foot is staying on the dock and it's only going to be a matter of time until you can hold that separation between your two legs. You can hold that separation of distance and at some point 
You're either going to let go of the boat and it's going to sail away, or you're going to let go of the dock and plunge into the water, or you'll just jump into the boat. But if you're wavering, you're not going anywhere. You're in a you're you're stuck in a hard place. I can't do a split. So I'm not trying to keep one foot on the dock and one foot on the canoe. But I think a lot of Christians are doing that. They're asking God for wisdom, but they're holding on to their own conventional thoughts. They're holding on to their own abilities. They're not fully trusting that he can do what he said he's going to do. And there's a warning here from James. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. I've seen, you know, through movies and... um you know, cinematic stuff. Like, you know, I've seen what a raging sea looks like. It's not anywhere that I would want to be. I, I get fear when I think about being on top of a wave that's, you know, 10, 20 feet tall and it comes crashing down and drowning. You know, that's that if, if you toss me in a chaotic ocean, I'm going to be tossed about and I'll drown and die. And that's the illustration that James makes here. The person that does not fully trust the Lord, does not ask him in a faith that is unwavering, he's not going to receive anything except he's going to be tossed to and fro. Verse 7, For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. You, you will not receive wisdom from him. Patience will not be able to do its perfect work if you are not trusting that God can deliver you from what you're in. And that's where he lands in verse 8. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And I think a lot of Christians are like this. And it's sad, but it's it's the result of not knowing what the Bible says and not doing what it says. But they, they're unstable in everything that they do. They start something and they never finish it. They get these, quote, epiphanies from God, end quote, which are not from God. It's just something that they want to do to make themselves feel like they're doing something. And I say all that lovingly. I really do. Because I was once that kind of person. I was once the kind of person that was always looking for the creation of something or, you know, something brand new, something where people would have a lot of eyes on me and say, that's what I want to do. But it took my junior year in Bible college to recognize I had to change the question. It's not what do I want to do for God? It's what does God want me to do for him? And if I can make that my single track focus, then Ephesians 2.10 comes into light. God has ordained good works for me to follow in. He, he's laid out a path for me. He, he has a plan for my life. And I shouldn't focus on what do I want to do? What do I want to do for him, for him? I mean, I can be so busy doing the work of the Lord that I forget the Lord of the work. God, what do you want? And I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you when I get sick. I'm going to trust you when my family gets sick. I'm going to trust you when people die. I'm going to trust you when there's darkness all around me. I'm going to trust you when I'm tempted to have uncertainty. I'm going to hold on to what I know from your word. And that takes discipline. And if you're listening to me right now and you're saying, Pastor, you're talking about me. I'm asking God, but my faith is wavering. I'm holding on to what I think should happen, but I'm not trusting fully in him to deliver me from these situations. Friend, can I just ask you to quiet your mind? 
and ask yourself this question. Is God unable to deliver you? Are you unable to believe that he can? And if it's the latter, change your mind. Change your mind. Don't be that man who says one thing, but in his heart believes opposite. Don't be a double-minded man. You'll be unstable in anything that you seek to do. Wow, heavy episode today, but great reflection. And I'm so glad you're here. I, I really am. I can't see you. Right now I'm staring at a wall <laughs> in front of me. But I know there's people listening right now. I know it's only a handful of you, but that's worth it. Stick around next week. We'll be here same time, same place. This has been Real Talk, and I'm your host, Pastor Jesse Martinez. Don't forget to send in your questions, questions at BibleLineMinistries.org. Until next time, keep looking up. Jesus Christ is coming soon. If you enjoyed today's episode of Bible Line, make sure to subscribe to the channel and share this video with a friend. Do you have a Bible question? Send us an email, questions at BibleLineMinistries.org, and we'll do our best to get you an answer. Or you can leave your question in the comments of this video. Be sure to check the links in the description for more clear Bible teaching. Bible Line is a ministry of Calvary Community Church located in Tampa, Florida.